0: I just watched other Christians struggle too and realized, wow, how did, how did we get to college as Christians without anybody even ever breaching these subjects with us? And then what was I going to do from there? So by God's grace, I ended up sort of you know, exploring the issues more deeply and, and, and found out that there were answers to my questions, but not everyone fared so well. Many people fell away from the faith and changed their views. And so ever since then, I, I was like, you know what, I, I need to write a book. To help college students deal with that and when i became a biblical scholar myself i figured okay now's the time to do it but
1: welcome to the guilt grace gratitude podcast featuring peter bell and nick fullweiler this is a show about christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue join us as we discuss how the finished work of jesus christ changes everything
2: Hey guys, real quick before we start this episode with Dr. Michael Kruger on his book, Surviving Religion 101, published by Crossway. Listen to the end of this episode to find out how you can win your very own copy, courtesy of our friends at Crossway. You guys won't want to miss this book, I promise you. Even if you don't win this book through the giveaway, buy yourself a book, listen to this conversation, and we will see you on the other side. Are you in the Orange County or Santa Ana area? We are exploring a church plant, Santa Ana Reformed, with the oversight and accountability of Oceanside URC and Reverend Danny Hyde. If you are interested or you know someone who might be interested in the area, please check out our show notes for a link to sign up for updates, our Twitter or Instagram at Pod or Santa Ana URC for the same signup link, or simply email us at santanareformed at gmail.com. We begin meetings on October 28th at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. Now on with the episode.
1: Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is a book club episode presented by your brothers in Christ, Nick and Peter from the Guilt Grace Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. After the episode, check out our show notes for a link to order today's book by Dr. Michael Kruger. Surviving Religion 101, Letters to a Christian Student on Keeping the Faith in College, published by our good friends at Crossway. And there's also a link to our network of the Society of Reformed Podcasters and a link to the North American Presbyterian and Reformed Churches, as well as one for our Baptist brothers and sisters to find a church near you. So again, for today's book club, we have Dr. Michael Kruger, and he'll be talking to us about his new book, Surviving Religion 101. All right, I'll hand it off to Peter.
2: Yeah, so we are super thankful for Dr. Kruger, um, thankful for this happening. Thank you to Crossway for connecting us. He's a president and Samuel C. Patterson professor of New Testament, Early Christianity at Reform Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he's a leading scholar on the origins and development of the New Testament canon, blogs regularly at michaeljkruger.com. Written a couple other more scholarly works, so we're excited to talk about this. It's more focused towards a lay audience and explaining the faith, having apologetics, having a good understanding of, of the Bible overall. So thanks for coming on, Dr. Kruger.
0: Well, thanks guys. Great to be on the show.
2: Yeah,
1: thank you. And um, wanted to open it up. as it's a it's a great honor to have you. If if someone would have told me exactly a year ago, <laughs> when this whole COVID stuff happened, uh, that you that I would be. A co-host on a podcast and have Michael Kruger on—I would not have. <laughs> the first reformed person he
0: ever listened to, besides me, was pretty much. Well, that, that, that may be more tragic than anything else. I'm not sure. <laughs> no. <I'm> gonna, <laughs> yeah. Best to listen I, to, but glad to glad to be on the show. and glad that I was helpful back then. So that's great. Yeah,
1: yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, to to kind of cre- uh, explain that foundation, what happened was when um, uh, I started talking to Peter, he introduced me to the RTS. Uh, lectures online so you guys that uh, want to look at those you can find yeah. them online they are they are free um, so at the time uh, because of COVID I lost my job and I was you know start digging into this stuff and listening to you and hearing these powerful apologetics with muscle on it and really explaining doctrine explanations I've never really heard before so this really got me the juices going and and talking to peter we're like we need to have a show where we just have conversations where people hear this stuff yeah so you are you did help inspire the show
0: so thank <laughs> you
2: <laughs> <laughs> so wow and so this is uh that. this
0: is a bigger invitation than i realized I <laughs> yeah it yeah. yeah. was uh motivated by my lectures but that's yeah, great right? i I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's 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 encouraging yeah thank you
1: so um Today we're gonna talk about your brand new book. It's a a fantastic book, both Peter and I read it. Um, So just a handful of questions here, just to kind of kick it off. um, It's an incredible book, it's unique, it's beautifully written and powerful. Can you please explain the background of the book and what inspired you to write it?
0: Yeah, this book is, uh, as we were talking before the show began is my first lay level book. Uh, Most of my other scholarly or presentations have been scholarly oriented and, and, and more heady. Um, this is a book I've been thinking about, though, for years. Um, it really began back in my own undergraduate days at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, where I entered college, like probably many college students today, as a committed Christian and trying to do my best to follow Christ, but soon found myself in a situation where I was in a religion class, getting bombarded with arguments from my professor that I had no idea how to answer. Um, mm-hmm. And as I mentioned in the book, I had actually I ended up having Bart Ehrman as a professor <laughs> yeah. back in the, the heavy time weight. before- yeah, this is before people knew who he was. But of course, now he's well known as one of the most prolific critics of Christianity alive today. And so I sat in a class for an entire semester and heard him go after the gospels and other New Testament books talking about how there's forgeries and you can't trust them and they're historically unreliable and they've not been reliably transmitted textually and so on. And so I didn't have answers to my questions. And I just watched other Christians struggle too and realized, wow, how did how did we get to college as Christians without anybody even ever Reaching these subjects with us? And then what was I going to do from there? So by God's grace, I ended up sort of, you know, exploring the issues more deeply and, and, and found out that there were answers to my questions, but not everyone fared so well. Many people fell right. away from the faith and changed their views. And so ever since then, I, I was like, you know what, I, I need to write a book to help college students deal with that. And when I became a biblical scholar myself, I figured, okay, now's the time to do it. But it was really motivated by my daughter, Emma, who ended up herself, ironically, almost 30 years to the day, in fact, huh. going to UNC Chapel Hill also. And so once she got admitted, I was like, okay, it's time. I got to write this book. And so that, that, <laughs> yeah. it's a very personal book for me. Huh. Mm-hmm. Is Dr. Ehrman, is he still a professor there? He is. Yes. And it's 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 very possible Emma could have a class with him before huh. she's done. She's a, She's a sophomore right now. And and uh, he's still there. So yeah, it's very possible that this could come really full circle. Yeah, point. so this is not just
2: a theoretical book. This is something that you, like you, he wasn't as well known back then, but you were under this prolific critic. And this book comes from kind of wrestling with this critic and saying, oh, this is this is the orthodox understanding. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. So it was my own sort of intellectual crisis spurred on by my class with Erman, that that led to this book and of course i cover a lot of Erman's arguments in the book no surprise yep. but i also cover a lot of other yeah, arguments that, totally. that get circulated around um in other contexts mm-hmm. so uh but yeah it was motivated out of a real story that that i lived and then my daughter is really there and as is i'm not sure we mentioned it yet but i framed the book as letters to her yeah so each each chapter is a letter um to her addressing a topic i know she'll face and so uh, now, just for the reader to know, I mean, they're not letters that are actually sent to her in the past. I wrote them for the book, right? But she's she's <laughs> yeah. obviously a real just person. Asking them back, and, like I need them for a book. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, but obviously, she's she's really my daughter, and I'm really writing them to her because she's in college. So hopefully, others, you know, are benefiting from that.
1: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think that's what makes it really easy to read because it's you can really tell it's you're speaking from the heart because it's to your daughter, and uh, it's not a Hugely academic book. It's really, like you said, for the layman. And it's, but it's not, it's not light.
2: It's not surfacey. You're getting into deep stuff. Yeah. It it was a tough, a lot of books that kind of go lay level apologetics, I think, kind of skim the surface. But this one, I mean, there's some, there's some deep, deep stuff that people need to know.
0: Yeah. It was a tough balancing act. I mean, when I wrote the book, I really wanted to try to thread that needle between, I wanted it to feel like a substantive book that wasn't easily just chucked aside because it seemed too lightweight but at the same time i knew i couldn't write it as a scholar fully because i'm writing to you know freshmen in college or even seniors in high school honestly will probably start reading this book before they go so if you're trying to hit that audience it's tough to to find that balance but uh, you know hopefully hopefully I, i got close yeah yeah you did good um so like we said, it's,
1: this book is great on apologetics, defense of our faith on the most common arguments. Well, we would probably agree, you summed it up pretty well, well-rounded, the most common arguments skeptics have, especially when you enter a, a college or university environment. So these are frequent and intense uh, skeptics, uh, you know, topics that they would experience from fellow students in the universities, professors, so, how's this book different from other Christian apologetic books that you've read and even written yourself?
0: Yeah. So, there's no surprise. There's other books about going to college as a Christian. That's yeah. not like I'm the first one ever to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the differences, though, are most of those books are filled with a lot of sort of practical tips and mm-hmm. advice on, you know, how to survive as a Christian out in the real world, everything from dating to, you know, how to get along with your roommate and these sorts of things. And I, Look, I, those are all important issues. I'm not trying to say they're not, but this book is narrowly focused on the intellectual challenges, not the practical challenges. So that's that's one difference. The other difference is I don't know of any other college book written by a biblical scholar. Um, most of them are written by, you know, either pastors or apologists. Um, and so I was trying to bring in my own background to help people realize there's really answers to these questions in ways they may not yet, yet realize. Um, as far as during some other apologetic books, well, I mean, I just think the narrow... Sort of laser focus on college students is the difference, right? So, apologetics books can cover a whole wide range of things and tend to be very, let's just be honest, they tend to be kind of uh, data, data dumps. So, you tend to be sort of like, here's a bunch of, of facts, and they don't, they're a little, they can be a little stale. I'm hoping this, this format is a little more accessible, interesting, and engaging. And so, you know, th- those are some differences as well. Yeah, it's,
2: I think the, the stuff that I've read have been more tactics. So if somebody says this, then this is what you say, or here's right. all of right. these apologetic methods versus, no, here's the questions you're going to be asked, and here's the worldview that comes behind this, and then right. here's some solid evidence based off of historical data that we can, that we can use. So it's, not, it's less methodological, more so substantive,
0: this is what we're going to face, and this is the history behind the Bible. Yeah, I think any college student reading it would, would easily put themselves in, in the position as the recipient of this letter. Yeah. so they could they could see that this letter is being written for me, um, in a sense, and that that personalizes it. Um, I'll, I'll also say on the flip side that I think parents can benefit here. Huh. Um, you know, I, I I'm writing obviously for college students, but I hope parents buy the book and and realize that they need to be thinking about these things too, so they can be in dialogue with their with their, uh, totally. their sons or daughters in college. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because.
1: Um, <clears throat> You know, obviously, I wish I had a book like this. Oh, yeah, uh, me too. Going into college, it would have yeah. helped my college journey quite a bit. Um, but by God's grace, um, you know, I am where I am now. And, but as uh, someone out of college, I could benefit from this book as well. Cause, like you said, we deal with um, skeptics, you know, that are in our everyday lives outside of college. And we could just, I could always use this book the rest of my life really yeah and there's yeah, weird well,
2: bestsellers that are coming out all the time there's new york i mean there's op-eds that come out and every easter you get something on the uh the false like the false uh, resurrection so i mean it's, it's around us all the time
0: yeah one of the things i've been trying to say as i talk about the book with people is that of course it has a target audience namely college yeah. students but it really yeah. is useful for anybody if yeah. there's any anybody who wants to have answers to their questions anyone who struggles with why they believe or what they believe, whether you're, you know, 19 or, or, uh, or 90, I think you could benefit from this book. So yeah, I hope it's not seen as is not applicable to people who aren't in college, because I think it's very applicable. But obviously, I did write it uh, with that audience in mind. Just going back to the, the format
1: of the book. So it's, it's about 15 letters to your daughter, Emma, and on specific topics or questions that she'll probably come across, like any Christian college student going into, the environment so we don't expect you to describe all 15 of the 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 chapters or topics if you don't want to but can you briefly maybe describe the questions uh your your daughter or others entering college would face and the answers that we you would have for them
0: yeah sort of as a general overview uh many of the questions will be fairly uh uh unsurprising So I deal with everything from, say, you know, what do you do about modern science and miracles to issues of biblical reliability and transmission. And of course, in my own area, stuff related to, you know, lost books and the New Testament canon. You know, I talk about the problem of evil, heaven and hell, um, exclusive nature of the gospel, you know, the issue of tolerance and intolerance. So, you know, there's a whole swath of issues there. But but there's a couple, though, that I think uh, I, I put in the book because I think they're not talked about enough. Mm. Um, and one of those is one of the earliest chapters where I deal with this question about what the chances are that Christians are right and everyone else is wrong. Uh. And I deal with this, this, this haunting thought that I think most college students have when they're sitting in a classroom and it dawns on them that, hey, wait a second. Everybody around me, almost all my fellow students, almost all these professors all think I'm wrong and I'm actually a little loony and they all disagree with me. In fact, some of the smartest people on the planet disagree with me, namely huh. these professors. What are the chances that they're all wrong and that I'm right? What, what, what's the statistical <laughs> reality of that? And I think that little thing's like a sliver in your mind that it'll, 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 it'll work its way in and, and really, you know, sever your faith if you don't have an answer for it. So part of what I do in an early chapter is help people realize how people form their beliefs, and how, why people believe what they believe. And that it's not as simple to say that people believe things because of the facts. Um, it's, not a, it's not a, people don't form their beliefs just on evidence. And so even if you're the smartest person on the planet, you're not a neutral player with a blank slate that you work through worldviews. So just that framing of things is missing in so many discussions of apologetics. And so that's an example of the kind of issue I try to address that I think is left out of other books. Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah, when it comes down to the the 15 topics or chapters, how was there any like uh, background of how you got those 15 and
2: not 12? Or, yeah, or like 17? maybe the structure of like why you moved from yeah. one topic to the next topic?
0: Yeah. So I try to start with broader general structural issues. Um, you know, the very first chapter, not, not surprising, is more sort of the fear of entering a secular university and how am I going to make it? And I talk about, you know, striking a balance between thinking on the one hand, everybody's Darth Vader out to get you. Um, and on the other hand, you know, I'm fine. No problems here. I'm completely, you know, you know, impervious to to challenge and that I'm, I'm, I'm you know, not really vulnerable at all. So, I, you know, you got this sort of paranoid sort of uh, martyr complex on the one hand and then the sort of I'm bulletproof on the other. And so I try to deal with, you know, those kind of misconceptions at the front end and say, look, it's neither of those things. Um, you've got to be cautious, but also not you know, you know, overly suspicious of everybody. Uh, and then I move generally from there into worldview issues and how we form our beliefs. And then I start dealing with particular questions. And then I build up, not surprisingly, to the, the, to the last sections of the, of the book, which are all on the Bible. I get to the Bible at the end um, and talk about biblical reliability towards the end. Um, and then you know, one, one last chapter I include, which I think is really important, is a chapter on doubt which I, I will also say is missing from a lot of other apologetics books. Um, you, you get in apologetics. You, you, sometimes the book gives the impression that, oh, this is all just cut and dry, you know, mathematics, two plus two equals four. And if you don't see it, you're, you're just not a very good Christian in these sorts of things. And I'm like, no, these are hard things. And you're going to struggle and you're going to doubt. And doubting is not an unusual thing in the Christian life. Um, and so I really wanted that chapter in there because I think, you know, college students are not going to respond well when you sort of paint this like overly naive picture as if, you know, college should just be the smooth ride if you're really a good Christian and never doubt anything. I'm like, well, no, that's not the way the real world works.
1: Yeah, and I know we touched on this briefly before, but if you want to add anything else is how can the message of this book help not only
0: college students, but all of us Christians? Yeah, well, on that score, uh, you know, what's interesting is that the reason I think college is so important to address because of the, the intensity of the barrage in a very narrow width of time. Okay. Mm. It's unlike any other phase of your life, because for most Christians, first of all, they usually haven't been around that many people in a secular environment before, but then you've just Mm. got four, four, let's just say four intense years of, of just getting hammered with things. And there's, I don't know of any other phase of life that's like it on the flip side though we all know that it's not like suddenly when you turn 22 and graduate, you stop asking questions. And one of the phases of life where actually a lot of crisis hits is in the mid to late Mm twenties where people are now out of college and they're like, Oh, so this is what the real world is like. And I, I don't know how I fit in it and I don't like it very much. And maybe all I thought I believed isn't true anyway. And so the twenties are, those are tough times too. And I don't deny that. And Mm -hmm. so I think this book would be great for people in their twenties and their thirties and beyond just anytime you struggle with what you believe, I hope it's helpful. So I really do think it's applicable to just about anyone who asks questions. Yeah, and after college, there's there's not really anything forcing you to kind of
2: push in your faith, to deepen your faith, to understand apologetics, understand the formation of the canon. Um, and so when you get when you see that all, like at, like culture just is imbibed with this stuff, it's hard to it's hard to explain. It's hard to understand if you're not consistently staying in this stuff, which I think college does force you to, because you have this opposing view. And you have to try to think of another view versus when you're not pushed on that opposing view, there's
0: nothing really telling you like, Hey, here's, here's the basics. No, that's right. I mean, you know, college is a time that, that and I say this in the book, it's a great opportunity for Christians to really grow because there's no, there's no time like it where you're going to be forced to give yeah. answers to things, you know, now you get out of college, there's less of that. Um, I think when you get out of college, you know, there's different kinds of questions that yeah. arise, which is sort of overall purpose of life and, lifestyle and you know am i going you know do i really want to spend my life doing x y or z and so there's some broader questions mm-hmm. there that that are still in play but but yeah i mean college is just that time and so this is why i tell people in the book don't 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 think that the opposition's all bad it could be good news the opposition could really make you mm-hmm. an, effect, an effective christian if you respond well to it now yeah. if you respond poorly to it it won't but if you respond well to it it can really make you an effective christian yeah and i think some
2: churches downplay just how much information we're given from outside the church and don't really systematically bring us through some of these issues where we need somebody to come and systematically bring us through these issues
0: if we're not being trained well enough in our church context too yeah well that actually is a, a thing i mentioned in the introduction which is sort of looming in the background here and i don't i don't have a chapter on this but i mentioned in the introduction is how did we get to the place where we're losing Christian students in college at, in significant numbers. In other words, what does this say about the state of the church? What does this say about the average pastor? What does this say about seminaries that we're we're training our people in such a way that most college students who have grown up in the church their whole life just let that sink in their yeah. whole life. Yeah, yeah. They get to college and they're like, I never heard that. I never heard that. And yeah. I never heard that. I'm like, that's embarrassing, honestly. Yeah. We, we as I, there's some real soul searching that needs to happen in the church. For how we've let that happen and what are we doing with these 18 years yeah that we that we have people for and you know i i mentioned in the book that i think you know there's there's different strains of evangelicalism that can explain this There's sort of the pietistic strain which is the only thing that matters in in, in churches is just make sure people live like christians and, mm. and by the way it is important that they live like christians yeah. it's just like that's not the only thing that matters and then the other the other streaming is sort of revivalism which is sort of this let's make sure that people are getting converted and that also matters but there's, not, there's, there's there's missing this other category of, well, what about like training in the Christian worldview and training in non-Christian thinking? And it just isn't there. And that's yeah. uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah.
1: And it's pretty obvious your primary audience is a existing believer, a, a Christian, um, even more specifically an existing believer, Christian going into college. But what if a non-Christian was to read this book? What do you think they would profit from it?
0: Yeah, I think that would be really great. If 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 non Christians would read this book, I'm hoping that that the Christians who get it and read it would give it to their non Christian friends, yeah. say, "Please read this," because even though obviously there's a sense in which it's it's geared towards people who are professing believers who are struggling, the arguments I make are, are are accessible to anyone. And if the if the skeptic is like, "Well, what do I do?" with you know, if the skeptic is convinced the problem of evil sinks Christianity, then they ought to read my chapter on the problem of evil, right? It does <laughs> yeah. Happen. <laughs> if they think that you know, there's no reason to believe in the resurrection. Well, I'm like, well, it's not that simple, or that miracles are impossible. Well, again, read my section on that. And so, yes, I think the skeptic could be really, um, could be really beneficial for him or her to read. And uh, and I would encourage uh, any anyone listening to this podcast who has the book to give it to a non-Christian friend. <clears throat> yeah, one of the one of the things you bring
2: up in the book, and I've heard another podcast and other books that you've written too, is the problem of um, quote unquote other gospels, that I think a lot of non-believers think about or progressive christians or whoever it might be and saying like oh how in the world did this christian or this church come up with these four gospels and come up with the uh 23 other books of the new testament and Mm. it seems Mm. arbitrary and and how can you just believe those those things i've seen kind of an upsurge in some of this stuff where no let's take these other books these are really good and um why aren't those part of the new testament so that's i think i mean if you can speak to that as well on um kind of the resurgence of some of this thought too
0: well, yeah, this is this is common on the college campus and also outside the college campus, which is this want, wanting to talk about apocryphal books, lost books, hidden books, yeah. secret books. You know, I love I love all the the little magic <laughs> yeah. stick on the front, you know, so the books this, above the gospel it has, it has this theory. big sort of conspiratorial aura yeah. about it that. You know, oh, you thought these were the best four gospels, but we now know that they're not and that the, the real ones have been suppressed for 2,000 years. Yeah, because it so seems like now. the,
2: for me, the one I've heard it, it's like the getcha argument. Well, you didn't know that there were more gospels than this one. There's 12 yeah. other ones. Like,
0: yeah. Gospel of yeah. Thomas like, is the most popular Gnostic one. Right. And that argument works really well rhetorically. In other words, at a real surface <laughs> yeah. Yeah. level, it's because most Christians have no idea. Yeah, it, 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 it plays. The, the, the problem is that argument falls apart very quickly when you look at the historical evidence. Yes. So good for rhetoric, bad for history. And so I point yeah. out in the book that, you know, as soon as you get past the, the the sort of surface level of that, you realize it just completely disintegrates. Christians were not just reading whatever Gospels they want to read. Um, the, the, the Apocryphal Gospels were not nearly as popular or, or well-received as the canonical four. And the evidence for the early uh, canonical four in a collection is, is overwhelming, so much so that there was never any real meaningful debate about Matthew, Mark, Luke and John like people claim there was. There was no vote. There's no council. It's just clear. Those are the gospels handed down the church handed mm-hmm. down to the church from the beginning. So, you know, I, I you know, obviously, this is a, a subject I've done my own academic work in. So I loved those sections in the book yeah. because I felt like, you know, those were the, well, those were issues I wanted to bring up and help clarify for people because there's so many misconceptions about them. Yeah. And just real quick, too, one of the
2: things I remember from one of your uh, lectures and then obviously another one of the books is the very last verse of Gospel of Thomas. Nobody ever reads. And when you bring that up to somebody who's like, quote unquote, progressive, it's like, oh, we need to listen to this book. Do you really want to listen to this book? Because the last verse is not a
0: verse that you want to tell somebody about. Uh, Oh, no. Well, here's what it betrays is that most people talk, you know, convincingly about lost gospels and how they're just as good as our canonical gospels. And honestly, they've never read them. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, and, They're super and, and, on it, and, and on top of that, they probably haven't really read the canonical gospels. Yeah. And when you do, you realize, wait a second, there's not just an historical difference here. There's a qualitative difference here. Um, and you start doing the, the real uh, good work on that. And you realize that these, these apocryphal gospels <clears> are embellished legendary and, and and overall, many of them just bizarre. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you kind of answered this went into answering this next question and uh, giving some teasers and some apologetic responses on the reliability of the gospels in the canon. Um, are there any other nuggets of information or, or that's in your book with some of your research that you can kind of uh, explain to people if they're not already wanting to buy this book, yeah, maybe right. you have yeah. some other stuff to kind of
2: like, Oh, uh, this, this makes me want to read more of this stuff and get more of this stuff. Yeah. Any teasers kind of on the uh, yeah. scholarship
0: you mean on, on other chapters? chapters yeah or anything
2: your average christian wouldn't necessarily think about either coming to college like a question that they're asked and just some right. stuff from the book that they can say like oh that's what the book's about okay that's yeah that's really cool i want more of this yeah
0: well i don't i i've worked really hard in the book not to shirk the tough questions so i've got uh ch- chapters on sexuality and homosexuality hmm. for example um, and, you know, it, you know, I didn't really get into the transgender issues when I was writing the book, everything, the landscape changes so fast that when yeah. I was writing the book that, those were just hitting, but, um, but, you know, people think, well, you know, is he going to duck the hard questions there or going to ta- tackle that. So I tackle things like that in the book. Um, you know, you know, not trying to duck the problem of evil, tackle that in the book. And then I have, a, here's another chapter that's interesting. I think people may not know is in there. Is that people may not realize that one of the newer arguments in the last generation which would have really been unthinkable in prior generations, but in this new generation is not, is the idea that we should reject the Bible because the Bible is immoral. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's actually a morality argument against the Bible, which again, in prior generations, this just wasn't done. On uh, prior generations, it was more like, well, just stop forcing your morality on me. I don't, I don't need your, your big moral Bible. But now the tables have been turned. Mm-hmm. So ironically, the people making the moral arguments aren't Christians, although they do. Yeah. But the, but the people making the moral arguments are, are non-Christians, and they're saying the Bible's full of all kinds of offensive, you know, uh, you know, uh, reprehensible things that you should morally find repugnant. And so I deal with issues like, does the Bible advocate genocide, slavery? Does it oppress women? Um, and you have to wrestle with these things. And then, of course, I point out that you, if you're going to make a moral argument against the Bible, you better be ready to make it, because it's not as simple as saying something's wrong. Yeah. You have to have a worldview worldview in which you can know something's wrong yeah. or right. And you have to have some place in your worldview to get absolute moral norms. And of course, the non-Christians never thought of this. He just likes to say things are wrong and he assumes everyone's gonna agree with him. Um, but I point out that that needs to be challenged as well. So yeah, I have a, I have, those are some other little mm-hmm. nuggets in there that people may not know are, are in there.
2: Yeah, and that also comes back to, have you actually read these sections that you're referring to in context? Um, Correct. Like you would read anything else, like Homer or anything else from, from around the Old Testament period, um, or other first century tests? Like, like, do you know enough about what you're saying? Or are you just kind of repeating some scholar that you saw a New York Times article on and you're just telling me about it?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, people take their, their you know, modern, they take modern categories for things and then sort of retroactively impose them on the Bible. Yeah. So they're going to read what they think are, are 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 the conquest passages of Canaan through the lens of modern genocide. And I'm like, yeah. well, you got, got to understand what was going on in the ancient world. And you also understand the theological side of things. What, why does God do what he does? Yeah. Does he have the right to do what he does? What about sinful nature? Can God judge a person anytime he wants to? Doesn't God judge people through pestilence and famine and natural disasters and floods? Um, he does it all the time in the Bible. So, so God can judge people that way, but not through human armies. Hmm. So well, where, where does that logic come from? You can't just sort of impose that on the Bible. Yeah. So I argue that actually the Bible internally makes sense if you understand its internal logic. You're, what the non-Christian is doing is saying, "On my logic, the Bible doesn't make sense." But well, I'm like, "Well, of course that that's not a fair way to look at it. You got to look at it within the Bible's own worldview." Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. once you see that, you realize it, it actually makes sense that the Christian God would do these things if, in fact, He's holy and people are sinful and so on. If you did not, if you deny all those things, well, of course you're not going to understand those passages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Makes sense um, because if someone doesn't understand scripture, never read the Bible,
1: um, they're a non-believer. They go back to really in the Garden of Eden when uh, the the lie of you know defining their own good and evil. So they they you know outside of scripture, they're like this this is what I think evil is and this is what I think good is, and then they kind of flip everything around so they're calling the Bible evil and the world you know, things,
0: uh, good. So that yeah, kind of I mean, sense. imagine, I mean, take the standard, uh, Western American skeptic. He, he says, look, humans are basically good people trying their best. Um, and there's this sort of awful God called Yahweh that sends in the Israelites to slaughter women and children who are, you know, trying to just make it in the world. And how awful is that? And yeah. you, you realize that, that built into that argument is all these assumptions that God is a arbitrary and that be you know people are inherently good and that they deserve to live and that there's a sense in which you know you forget the canaanites are remarkably wicked people who had done everything from uh you know idolatry to even sacrificing their own children to to, to false gods um they were you know the the debauchery of that of of those folks was was building for years and god finally brought judgment on them and here's this other misconception people have they think well you know, I'm only going to grant your little system of God judging if God judges people in the way I think he ought to. So he's got to start with the worst and work his way down the list. Right. Yeah. And so if he starts anywhere else in the list, well, that's not right, because I don't like that. He always has to start with Adolf Hitler and then work his way down. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Why, why, why does God have to do that? At an earthly level, God sometimes judges certain people who and they yes, they deserve it. But then there's certain people who deserve it. He just for his own purposes, waits and doesn't mm-hmm. always bring judgment right away. So once again, they're like, I'm going to impose my own little worldview on this and then say I don't like it, and therefore it can't be right. And I'm like, well, that just isn't a very good argument. Yeah, 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 cool. So
1: closing out, can you describe how this book can help us, in particular, incoming or continuing college students better understand the gospel, even while in a secular university, in effect, how they can thrive in college and having their
0: uh, trust and growth in the gospel? And by gospel, I assume you mean the good news of... Of yep. salvation, not yep. the books. Yeah. Yes, yes. Sure. Um, obviously, uh, you know the, the heart and soul of this this book, and I hope the reader picks up on it is 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 not just about data and facts, but the but the book is ultimately about a person. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I make this point at the very close of the book, which is the only way you're going to make it through college if you're struggling, and truthfully through the rest of your life, is if you're following something more than just an idea. You're following more than just concepts and principles. Um, you've got to be following a person. And so this is the, the essence of the gospel. And this is missing in a lot of apologetics books. It's almost like ap- many apologetics books are just trying to convince you something is true. And, and of course that matters. And I'm doing that too. But but it's not as simple as saying, here's some facts, believe they're true. You've got to be convinced that that, that following Jesus is worth it, that he's better than anything else. And the only way you get there is by apprehending him as a person and his his beauty, his wonder, his goodness, and uh, in, in, in just apprehending the person of Christ. So what I think happens to a lot of college students, and truthfully, a lot of Christians in general, is they're actually not following a person. They're actually following ideas, concepts. They're even following theology. They're not following a person. Um, and I, I make the point that all those things matter. Theology matters, of course. Truth matters, obviously. But it's got to be directed towards the person of christ so this is the essence of the gospel message right is that you can be saved and have a relationship with god through christ if that's not central then no matter no 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 pile of facts is ever going to make it for you it's never going to be enough if that's not there the object of our faith yep yeah
2: totally yeah maybe i'll ask the the last question too um so after reading this and i know you got a, a bunch of other work so with this, and after people read this and understand it, I'm, I'm assuming people are going to want to pick this up and, and kind of devour this before, and we're hoping a lot of high school students devour this, and mm-hmm. parents read this, and churches read this, and, and give it as graduation presents to their to their kids, <clears throat> to their high schoolers, um, but is there anything else that you've written that people can benefit from, or is anything that you're, that you're working on that people can benefit
0: from? <laughs> yeah, well, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I hope they can. I mean, you know, as we discussed before, this is This is my 11th book, um, my first real lay book. Yeah. Um, It's, you know, if someone wants to go into canon and text and reliability of the Bible uh, issues, they can read other things I've written. You know, they could read Canon Revisited, which is sort of an archetypal look at canon. Then they could read the question of canon, where I deal with historical models of canonicity. My hunch is many of the listeners may not be up for that entirely. Uh, (laughs) So let me mention my website, which I think is a good source for people. So, I blog over at what's called Canon Fodder, which is a pun, by the way. It's not cannon with two ends, but one. Yeah. Otherwise, if you don't get that, my students, by the way, misspell cannon all the time. <laughs> yeah. I tell them, well, you know, you don't. It's not a cannonball here. It's C A N O N. Yeah. So Canon Fodder is the name on my website. It's just MichaelJKruger.com. And what I've done is I've taken a lot of my academic work and tried to distill it down into into more accessible articles, blog posts. Uh, lectures and interviews um, and and so forth. So I've got a ton of resources on the site. So uh, if people want to get more and learn more, I've tried to make that site a place where they can get that without having to necessarily read, you know, seven academic books. So hopefully that'll be helpful too. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll link to that in our, our show notes too. People can, people can look
2: through that as well. Yeah. Great. It was a great honor having you on Dr. Kruger.
0: So thank yeah, you. Yeah. Thanks for, you thanks for coming on. Well, thanks so much, guys. Fun fun dialogue, and, and thanks for highlighting the book, and, and I hope people uh, can get it and, uh, and benefit from it. Yeah, Thank absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, and hopefully we'll, we'll see you again later.
2: Yeah.
0: We hope you enjoyed that episode with the one
1: and only Dr. Michael Kruger. And uh, we loved hearing about that book, and we loved reading it, Surviving Religion 101.
2: Thank you, man. Dr. Kruger's been a goal of ours got on the show for a little bit and he came on and it was super fun. And now we're friends. We are.
1: I hope he agrees that we're friends.
2: He told <laughs> us we, we were friends right after that, right after we but right if we stopped recording, he's like, Oh, I yeah, let, let's do this again. There's no proof. The audience never heard it. That's <laughs> no. right. If a tree falls down and nobody hears it, did it actually happen?
1: Yeah. So, so I yeah, think I uh it did. I think if you, just to, to reiterate what he said and what we said in the, sh- in, the, in the recording, every high school student should get it, preparing for college. Every college student should get that book. Everybody after college should have it in their back pocket for the rest of life for just common apologetics to be good at, you know, just helping your faith, defending your faith.
2: Like, yeah, yeah, every college student, every high school student, every middle school, I mean, literally anybody who can read and who needs help defending the faith, this is the book you got to get entry level, but also deep and thick.
1: Yeah, if you're a, like, youth pastor or oh, something yeah. like that, you know, Bible study, whatever, <laughs> you're dealing with anybody that hasn't gone to college yet, that's the biggest thing is you don't wait until you're in college and then trying to, you know, you want to sharpen their faith before college and then they got good armor going into it. But, you know, it's never too late. Like me, I never had a book like this and I'm in my thirties
2: and I could still benefit from this book for the rest of my life. So yeah, same here. So it's a refresher, but it's also, man, it just answers some questions. So yeah, all that said, I mean, I know graduations just passed, but buy this for graduation present, buy this for an incoming high school or incoming college student, anybody that you know, yeah, spread it, spread it and let everybody know. But yeah, we both really enjoyed that episode. And we have a, a book giveaway again, uh, winner for Faith in the Son of God from Dr. Kevin McFadden. And it is David Backman retweeting us on Twitter. So if you can direct message us on Twitter, or if you want to email us at guiltgracepod at gmail.com with your physical mailing address, we'll get you sent that out as soon as possible. And we have a book giveaway for this, Dr. Kruger.
1: Yep. That'll be a, that'll be a good one to get. So I'm sure it'll be popular demand.
2: And then Nick, how can you get the book giveaway?
1: I think, I think the best way would be to give us some money. Donate us some money. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Just send us and a then, lot of cash. That's all we ask for. And we'll give you one book.
1: So, yeah, I mean, it, it,
2: the best way, uh,
1: you know, th- there is the donation way, but we do stick to kind of the retweeting. Uh, you know, if you write us a really good review, we would consider that too. But, um, those
2: are the three main ways. Like, yeah. So, if you guys can find us and get our attention, we'll send you Dr. Kruger's book. I mean, trust me, you're going to want to get this. Even if you don't win it, buy it. Just honestly, this there's not there's not much better book to entry level apologetics and really thick apologetics. So, get this book. I, I agree. Yeah, get this book. And uh, next week we have Dr. KJ Drake of Redeemer University in Canada, talk about his book, Faith or not Faith in the Son of God. We talk about his book, Flesh of the Word. It's on the two natures of Christ and how that affects understanding of a lot of things, but I think also, especially, the Lord's Supper. So you guys won't want to miss that next week. And a special little shout out to a podcast from one of our friends, Urban Puritano, or Urban Puritano. It's called christ center preaching he did an interview on his friend's podcast christ center preaching and he's also got his own little podcast i think also it's called urban puritano so we want to shout you out real quick give you some love on our show but hope you guys can go to his show and and see what it's all about we've enjoyed it but yeah we will see you guys next week for the stars of season three yep all right peace